Missions Month is fun, isn't it? Oh, that was horrible. Missions Month is fun, isn't it? That's a little better right there. All right. Yeah, it's exciting. Well, if, if you'll turn with me to Daniel chapter 1, and uh, we're looking at uh, the, the life of Daniel and, the, and his faith in the fire. As, uh, as we continue in Missions Month and uh, as, we, as we're raising awareness and raising funds and, uh, for, uh, for the missions movement, uh, I want to remind you that we're, we're in the missions movement here too, right? And we have to live out our faith in the fire. And by that, we're talking about living our faith in the fire of, of the godlessness of the culture around us. Just to make sure we're all on the same page historically here, you'll remember that Saul was the first king of Israel, then David, and then Solomon. And uh, they had this promise that as long as they served the Lord, the Lord would protect them from all of their enemies, right? But during the time of Solomon, he had a divided heart. The, the country divided. Israel rejected that. And they, they quit fo- uh, following after the Lord. And so exactly what God said would happen. And the Assyrians came in and they took them captive. Judah, not long thereafter, fell into the same thing. And for 490 years, they rejected God and they started worshiping other religions. And, 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 and so God basically said, I want my, I want my Sabbaths back. They went 490 years ignoring the Sabbath. So for a 70-year period of time, he said they would undergo, uh, undergo this captivity. And that happened in three phases. In the first phase is they took the brightest and best of the young men and women. They carried them off to Babylon. And Daniel was one of those, one of those people. And so we've been talking about what it's like to, to live out your faith in the fire of a godless, ungodly world and culture. And, uh, and so we've, we've been talking about the five different principles for living in an ungodly world. And you'll remember that the first one uh, was to purpose in your heart not to defile yourself, as Daniel did. To purpose in your heart that I'm not going to let the godlessness of the culture around me corrupt me or contaminate me. And remember in Daniel 1.8, if you see there, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. The second principle we talked about a couple weeks ago is to be, be respectful uh, to your ungodly authorities. You might uh, remember that e- even though he had, he had determined in his heart he was not going to defile himself, he requested politely and was very respectful to the chief of the eunuchs uh, that they could have an exemption from that. Then principle number three we saw last week that was to challenge the false premises that guide uh, society. To challenge those false premises. But Daniel challenged the, the thinking of the, of the chief of the eunuchs who felt like uh, if, you, if you eat the king's meat and, the, and have the king's delicacies, then, then you would produce healthier people. And we realize that's just not the case. Obedience to God uh, was that. And, and, uh, and there's a, we'll find this, that there's a fourth principle that we find sandwiched right into those same verses. And that's where we're at. This week we'll look at numbers 4 and 5 of those principles. So if you're in Daniel chapter 1, let's read verses 11 through 12 together. Daniel chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. I find this interesting because who purposed in his heart not to defile himself? Daniel, right? Daniel, singular, one person. Daniel has made this, this, this purpose in his heart. He says, I'm not going to defile myself. He goes to the steward, that's directly in, uh, under the chief of the eunuchs, and, and he requests of him, right? And he goes to him and says, please test whom? 
Please test your servants, plural. See, it was one person who said, I'm not going to be contaminated, but please test your servants, and then he names the other people. He's kind of including them, bringing them along. Now, a couple of things we see in here. One, we see the continuation of a previous principle because we see him being very respectful, right? What does he call, the, what does he call themselves? Please test your servants, right? They've been carried away from their homeland. I could think of a lot of other words that might come to mind first before servants, right? And there, there could be an attitude of, hey, I shouldn't even be here. Hey, you shouldn't be doing this. But instead, he saw it as an opportunity to serve. And so, he, please test your servants. But, but the fact that it's plural, please test your servants, plural, us. He brought them in. He brought other people in along with him uh, to join him in this uh, I think that's, I think it's a fascinating thing, and it shows the wisdom of Daniel. It brings us to principle number four, and that is find faithful friends. Boy, the importance of friends is, as we live out our lives in a godless society is very important. And Daniel knew he couldn't go it alone, so what did he do? He recruited some people to go with him. He recruited people to, to join him. And, you know, and sometimes all we really need to be able to go through this life the way we should is some deep friendships of people who, who are going through the same things as we are. Isn't that true? Have you ever been in a workplace where it was just an ungodly environment and, and you found that there was another Christian there and, and someone who understood what you were struggling with being in that environment? Has anyone ever felt that way? Raise your hand. Anyone felt that way before? Yes. And what, it's like a breath of fresh air just to find out that there's someone who's, who's going through the same thing as you are. And, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a support network. And, and, uh, and what we find is it's that, that there is strength when we bind to, together with other believers. Um, you might remember a couple of weeks ago was Back to Church Sunday. And uh, we talked about five good reasons for coming to church. And the fourth reason there was because we all live better when we are held accountable to others, right? We tend to live better when we have accountability right there built in with us. The analogy that we used, I took from uh, our, our, our church's uh, uh, Spartan team as we ran the Spartan race uh, a few weeks back. And, and how really the fact that we did it together helped us to perform better. Why? Because there were times I didn't quit simply because other people were not quitting, right? And, um, um, and in fact, last night, if, I, if I'm honest, I, I was uh, wanting to go for a run, and I'm, I'm with the kids because my wife is at the ladies' retreat this weekend, and, and uh, so we decided to all go together. Um, well, we didn't all run together. We had two on bikes and, and two running. So I'm running with my son, Aiden, right? And, um, and so we're, we're, we're running together, and Aiden, for those of you who don't know, um, he runs cross-country, right? And he's younger than me. You did know that. And so, um, and so as we started running, I just kind of went at whatever pace he was going, and we're going at this good pace. And I have to be honest, about, um, a, about a minute or so into it, I'm thinking, I don't know if I can keep this pace the whole time, right? Um, and then even my son then said something like, Dad, you got a good pace. You're going fast. That was encouraging. Like, hey, I'm an old guy and I'm keeping up with him. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll slow down when he slows down. <laughs> All, right. All right, we made it to our destination. And I had to say to myself, that was the fastest I have ever gotten here. <laughs> I was tired out. I was wiped out. And, and, uh, 
and, I'm, and I do a lot of geeky things when we get there. I, I, we, I go to the playground, and I play on the playground, so I'm a big kid, right? And so I, you know, I like to play on the, the monkey bars and all that kind of stuff. But I got there, and I was, I, was I was tired, but I was able to do better than I thought. Why? Because there was someone else there. He had encouraged me, right? But there was also, I thought, I'll slow down when he slows down. He didn't slow down. And, and now normally, if it were a perfect analogy, I could say the only reason he didn't slow down is because he, he was waiting for me to slow down. I'm sure he wouldn't have slowed down anyway. <laughs> but for me, as an older guy, hey, it was, it, was, it was worth it. It was a lot of fun. But, you know, that's the way it is. When we, when we find ourselves doing anything that's difficult in life, living our Christian life in any way, and it's difficult in our workplaces, in our schools, where our kids are on the front lines of the, the cultural battle here, are they not? And you go there just to find a few people that you don't, you don't separate yourselves from the world. You're there to have an influence in the world. But have those few people where you can come together and you hold each other accountable and you, and you strive to do something together and you say, hey, this school, this occupation, this place, this is our mission field together. Isn't that an awesome feeling? And doesn't it drive you further forward uh, because you have that level of, of accountability and you have that level of, of encouragement? In Ecclesiastes 4, Solomon said, said this. He said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And I, I think sometimes the reason that we, we do fall, spiritually speaking, in the, in the world and the culture in which we live, sometimes the reason we fall is because we're running alone. And you know what? Let's be honest. All of us fall. We need other people to pick us up, help us move, move on, brush us off. Let's go. Let's keep doing it. You can do this. Right? I mean, if we were to say, how many of us have been living in this culture and we've never fallen into any sin, we've never been, then you're a liar. Right? But how many of us can say, yeah, you know, I was getting off track and I, I had a brother in Christ who loved me enough to, to confront me, right? To catch me, to bring me, that's what Christianity is all about. And, and, and Daniel understood that concept. He, he grasped it. Um, uh, he understood that he, he couldn't do it as well by himself. Now, if we put this back into the context of making resolutions, as Daniel did, and especially making the resolution not to be defiled by the world around you, uh, it, it's important to find some faithful friends, that, and, and then you can stick together, support each other, hold each other accountable. You know, the... The friends, I think we undervalue the importance of the friends that we make in this life. You know, it can go both ways. It can make or break our spiritual life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You can have some great habits in your life. You pick the wrong friends, you'll, you'd be amazed how fast those habits can change. You know, we, we read in Proverbs 22, 24, and 25, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. Why? Lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Why? You become like the people that you hang with. Um, now, 
that if we, we, we are told in 1 Corinthians 5, for example, that we're not saying, he's not saying that we should separate from the world to the extent that we're not interacting with the world. You know what? There are, there are a lot of angry people that need you, right? There are a lot of people, and we should have a relationship with them. But when we talk about this strong word of friendship, these are the people that, that are in that inner circle, those with whom you can share and, and, you're, and you're vulnerable with, and you can, you can support each other and you build each other up. But yes, of course we need to go into the world, and we need to make friends in that sense. Uh, to, with, with the whole world. But for those with, uh, with, from whom we draw our comfort, our support, and our prayer network, that needs to be the type of people who are going to spur us forward instead of pulling us away. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's very important. And that's why in Proverbs we read in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 26, the righteous, those are the believers, this is for, for us, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. I don't care how righteous you are. You make bad choices with your friends. What does the Bible say is going to happen? They're going to lead you astray. So we need those relationships. We need those people who can hold us accountable, keep us on track. See, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. That was his conviction. Then he respectfully challenged the premises of his culture, right? And then he enlisted the support of some faithful friends. And how did it go for him? Right, let's take a look at this. Uh, let's read um, verse 15 and 16 of chapter 1. Daniel 1, 15 and 16. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all of the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Wow, there's some, there's some benefits here, right? I mean, what were the results? Number one, they were healthier. Right? That was the first result right off the bat, they were healthier because of what they ate. Now, the point of this isn't to look at the nutritional value of what the king offered versus the nutritional value of what uh, Daniel and his friends ate. That's really not the point of this, is it? I mean, you look at it in context, the point's very clear. Daniel could obey God through what he ate, or he could disobey God through what he ate. And so it was that obedience to God, that, that lifestyle, that, uh, that actually created a healthier person. You know, it's interesting, but, it, it, but if you live a healthy lifestyle, if you live a, a good Christian lifestyle, the tendency is that you're going to be a healthier person. Isn't that true? Uh, you know, I, I know that there's no promise of that. Um, there, this is not, there's not a promise. This is a tendency. This is the way things tend to be. But if you tend to live the normal Christian life, and, and then you go to a high school reunion 30 years later, and you look at those who were the partiers in high school, what happens to them 30 years later? You look at them and say, we graduated at the same time, right? Anyone ever feel that way? Or maybe the opposite. Maybe you're the partier. And you're saying, wow, these people seem younger than I do. Uh, I don't know what it, was, what, what it might be. But there's just a tendency for us to live healthier. And they were living in obedience to God. They were healthier. I believe that in this context, this, is, this was God doing that for them. So I don't think the key is to find out, well, what could have Daniel have eaten? And, and let's copy that so we can be healthy. That's not the point. The point is, is obey God and let him be in charge of your health. Right? And, and, and that's what they did, and we saw that they were healthier. 
Uh, the other thing that we see, uh, we, we see it right here in verse 16, the other result of this is that they were allowed to abstain from the foods that would defile them. They, were, they removed those things, and they took those temptations away. What does it say? Thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and the wine that they were, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. You know, it's, it's important when there's a temptation out there that, that it, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a help to take the temptation away, right? I mean, we all have different temptations. Everyone has, of every single one of us has a temptation towards something, right? There's some, some things tempt us, some things don't, right? Uh, for me, it's those little powdered donuts from, from Sam's Club, right? <laughs> Love those things, all right? Uh, but if I'm going to eat, if I'm going to overeat sweets, it's going to be something like that, right? It's, you know, there are other things that just don't, don't tempt me. And it's easy to eat in moderation. But for all, we have those different things that tempt us. And, and sometimes the, the nicest thing to do is to remove those temptations from us altogether, right? And so if you struggle with certain things, there are certain jobs you may not want to do, right? I mean, there's a reason I never worked at Krispy Kreme, right? Because that's my other, I love those Krispy Kreme donuts too. Um, and, uh, and it always seems like the light is on when I go by. Have you ever noticed that? Where you get the free donuts? Now donut holes. But, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, that they were able then to reduce the level of temptation by having those delicacies removed altogether. That's a blessing, right? That's a blessing for them. And so it made it easier for them to live, uh, to live on. There's a third benefit, uh, uh, that we see. Let's look at verse 17 together and look for that one. Verse 17 we read, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. We find God blessed them in all in abundance. You know, this has nothing to do with their food. This has to do with their obedience to God with their food. And so God decided to bless them with other things, right? And what did he bless them with? He blessed uh, all four of them. He blessed with, with something. And then with Daniel, he blessed with something, uh, something specific. But all, all of them, he gave knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. Wow. To have knowledge and skill in literature, what is that? That's book smarts. That's what we call it, right? Book smarts. He gave them book smarts. Have you ever had someone in your class that was just, you know, they would study something once and they just seemed to get it, and you would like pour over it and over it and over it? Um, you know, it, they had that book smarts. He gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and in wisdom. What do we call that? It's more like your street smarts, right? Um, and usually someone's good at one or the other. It's, for, it's hard to find people who are both. You know, it's like you've got your, your book smarts on Jeopardy, right? And then you got your street smarts, you know, which, which is, you know, like, have you ever wondered, if you've watched Jeopardy, like, if, if those people, even though they can tell you, like, every person in the Ming Dynasty, but they probably couldn't change a tire, right? <laughs> Here we have gifting in, in all of it. They have, they have this knowledge and skill in all of the, the book learning and in all of the wisdom, and God bless them, all four of them with this. And, and uh, it's just a blessing. And I find that as you, as, you, as you give in obedience to God, it's amazing the stuff that he, can, that he does and that he blesses you with. With Daniel, he gave him something above and beyond that. With Daniel, he gave, them, he gave him the supernatural ability to understand visions and dreams. 
By the way, um, one of the arguments in the charismatic movement uh, for, for some of the supernatural gifts being amongst us today, in fact, one of the things that they say is that, that if you don't have the supernatural gifts, then you must not have the Holy Spirit. But historically speaking, the, the gifts that are supernatural in nature have never been something that were, that were distributed to everybody. Never. God selected certain ones. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, uh, so God selected Daniel. Is it that Daniel's a better person? Nope. Is it that Daniel did something to earn it? Nope. It's that God chose to give it to him. And so I think that's important just to understand in our New Testament concept as well. But Daniel, he, re- he gave this ability. Why? Because God and his sovereignty had plans for that gift. We're going to learn about that in the, in the next few weeks. God had plans for that gift, and God was doing something great in Daniel's life with that gift. But it's not normative. Right? It was an additional blessing. And, uh, and if I could just take a moment here and, and, and pause from, from the, te- the, the immediate context here for a moment, there's something else that we learn through this, too. How God deals with a nation nationally and how God deals with an individual individually at the same time. See, how was God dealing with Israel? Israel was in disobedience, right? Israel as a whole was in disobedience. Was Israel suffering because of their disobedience? Absolutely, they were. They were in captivity because of this. At the same time, very same time, you've got individuals who are faithful. They went against the flow of culture, and they're faithful to their God, and, and, and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and God's blessing them individually. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Because if I put my hope in my country, my country's going to fail me sometimes. Right? If I put my hope in anything political, or if I, in a political leader, if I put my hope in any, any of those kinds of things, then, then sometimes they'll do the right thing, sometimes they'll do the wrong thing. Right? But what I can put my hope in is that even if my country does the wrong thing, even if my country is going to get punished by God, he has not forgotten me as an individual. Boy, I, I'll tell you what. The more I chewed on these verses this week, the more comforting I found that for me. That my relationship with God is not going to be altered by the sinfulness around me. And, and it's determined by what I choose to do about the sinfulness around me and if I want to become a part of that or if I reject it. Amen? What a comfort that is. That no matter what is going on, even though Daniel suffered right alongside of his brothers, right? he suffered right alongside of his countrymen. But his hope was in his relationship with God. And I just love that. To see how God deals with a group as a group, but he deals with us as individuals, individually. But here we find that they were obedient, and God blessed them for it. Let's look at the, the, the final result here. Um, In verses 18 through 21. Let's read those together. I'll read the the four verses together and then we'll go through them a little bit. Uh, Now at the end of, of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and astrologers who were, with him, with, or who were in all his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until 
the first year of, of King Cyrus, which is where, uh, uh, where the story will pick up later. But that brings us, these verses bring us to principle number five. Number five is study and engage the culture where God has placed you. Uh, let me go through and explain how, I, how we get to that. In verse 18, it says, now at the end of the days. Remember, this is not the end of the ten days. We, we read about that in the, in the earlier verses. There was the end of the ten days to see how their faces would look and how healthy they were. And they passed that test. But if you go back even further, they had a three-year period of, of training where they had to go through all of the training to learn to, to think and act like the Babylonians, to learn the language of the Chaldeans, the, the Chaldean language that the Babylonians spoke, to learn their, their literature, their history, their customs, and their cultures. It was, a, a, it was a, a retraining of their brain that they were attempting to do for three years. Now they've come to the end of that three-year program, and you would think that, that they, would be, they would pop out the other end of this training program just like all the other Chaldeans, right? And they would, they would be completely brainwashed by this point, but that's not what we find. Um, uh, they, uh, they studied Babylonian culture, they studied the literature and the religion, and they studied it, but they were never duped by it. They were never duped by it. Um, in fact, in verse uh, 19, uh, we read this. It says, then the king interviewed them. And what, and what do we read? And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. They studied alongside of all of the others who did eat the king's meat, who did have the, the king's wine, and those who, who were willing to assimilate into the culture. They studied, but none studied like Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. These four guys studied and, and I think, you know, we have this, this culture where, where they force us to learn things in our culture that we don't want or that we don't believe, right? right. I mean, it's mandatory in high schools that you learn of the process of evolution, right? The theory of evolution, for example. Um, and they, uh, if, I think if Daniel were here, he would know the theory better than them, right? I mean, what is it, ten times better than whom? Ten times better than the magicians and the astrologers. See, the Chaldeans, the, the Babylonians, they believed in, in all sorts of sorcery. They had magicians and they had astrologers, right? And not astronomers, I mean, but astrologers, those who would get messages from the stars and all of these kinds of things. And, and, and they, were, they studied all of these things. Daniel didn't say, well, I'm not studying that. Forget it. I don't believe in that stuff. What did he do? He studied it so well he was ten times better than they were. Well, that makes a difference. And I think, you know, I look at, uh, uh, at where, where we are in our culture, and I say, you know what? Um, if your school, I'm tell, where are our teens at? They're, adult, they're all over today. But where are our teens? At your school, if they're telling you you have to learn the theory of evolution, study it. <laughs> study it better than what they're asking you. In fact, and they hate this. Go further into it. Get into the details. I remember going to a creation-evolution debate, and, uh, and the guy who was uh, the, the evolutionist made a, made a statement about, well, what about the such-and-such, uh, uh, you know, I forgot what uh, ex excavational site it was, but, but he said, what about it? We have proof there of things that are about three million years old. You know what the, the creationist who had studied more did? He says, I actually have the results of those tests. And he pulls them out. And he had them with him. 
He pulls them out. Do you know they ran the test, the test three times? One was found six million years old. The other one was found zero years old. And then one was negative 10,000 years old, which means, according to their studies, the, 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 the remains that they found in that dig aren't going to be there for another 10,000 years. And he's like, so they average them, and they get them from the textbooks. And he says, and that brings me to the, my point. You keep believing in what the textbooks say instead of actually looking at the facts. He went, the, the deeper you get, the more you find error in what they are preaching. Does that make sense? So that's why I tell you, study. I'm not afraid of the truth. I'm not afraid of study. But if you actually study and you study hard, you find that, that the world is going to try and convince you of things that we know are just rubbish. It's not true. Study it. Come on, don't be duped by it. Study it. Find out what's wrong with it. And we need to study and engage in the culture where, where, we, where we're at. So they obviously studied hard. Become ten times better than, than all of the magicians and astrologers. But what did we find there at the second uh, part of that verse? It says, they served before the king. You don't know how to engage society? Serve them. Right? Serve them. Uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult for someone to, to tell you to shut up when you've just done a favor for them. Right? As Christians... If we would take the attitude that Daniel and his friends did of saying, I know it was wrong for them to ask me to serve. I know it was wrong for them to pull me from my home. I know it was wrong, but I'm going to serve anyway. I'm going to serve them. Then the impact that you can have, wow, it's amazing the impact that you can have. And we're going to see it as we go through the book of Daniel. I look forward to unraveling the book of Daniel uh, as we get there. Um, But the best way... To, to engage in our culture is to serve them. And uh, I'm telling you, folks, give rides to people. Yeah, be safe about it. I mean, you want to be careful who you pick up right? and who's with you. Make sure you have enough. Um, in fact, my, uh, my college wrestling team used to go around simply looking for, for uh, hitchhikers to witness to. I mean, they would drive around. This was a, Why? Because no one was going to, you know, do anything with a van load of wrestlers, right? <laughs> but you, could, you got their attention, and that was just a, something that, it was a way that they did, but go, give rise to people, uh, um, help, help people out, um, find out what the, the needs are, cover for someone at work, if someone at work says, oh, you know what, my, my son's getting married next week, and I, I've, I've got, I've got, I'm scheduled to work, oh, I'll cover for you. And then what, what are they going to say? Like, well, then I'll cover for you some other time. Ah, if I have a need, don't worry about it. This is just my chance. Wow, you're serving? And you do that? And, and you, you start engaging with them? And, and I think these two concepts go together. Yes, we have to be studied and we have to be ready. Um, uh, Peter tells us that. It says, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have, but to do it with gentleness and respect. It's the same thing here. We, we should always be engaging in our culture. We should have the knowledge. We should be well prepared. And, uh, and if you're not well prepared, I would suggest that you start getting well prepared so that you can engage with people. But then I would say you have to get out there and engage with people. You have to, to start interacting with the world around you. Oftentimes, it's very easy to create what I call the Baptist bubble. The, the Baptist bubble. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? 
it hit me that, that I had a little bit of a Baptist bubble when I was writing a, a resume. And at one point, I'm like, I went to Baptist Park High School. I went to Baptist Bible College. I went to Baptist Bible Seminary. I, I took some courses at the, uh, Detroit Baptist Theological. And, and, and uh, it's very easy to have this, this bubble. And you know what? The bubble's not completely bad because it's not bad to have some friends that are close and that we encourage each other. But we have to go outside of that bubble to start getting the gospel out there. Does that make sense? And we're not doing it. I'll tell you, as, as, a, as Christians in general in, in, in America, we are not doing our job of interacting with the unbelievers and bringing up the gospel. Isn't that true? We don't do it very well. And um, so I want to ask you a couple questions for reflection as we close uh, the service. Number one, who are your faithful friends? Uh, could, could you list them right now? Could you list them? And, uh, and the second question that goes with that, are, are they pulling you towards purity or towards a defilement? The, the ones that you would say, well, these are my faithful friends. Which way are they pulling you? Have you chosen friends that are going to pull you towards being a Christian in a, in a godless society? Or are they pulling you towards participation in the godlessness of society? Which are they? And I would encourage you, if you're thinking, boy, I don't even know for sure if I have uh, any close friends that are pulling me towards purity, then I would encourage you today, as, as, we, as we sing, uh, I believe we're singing Just As I Am, to just make a commitment. Write it down. Write it in your Bible. Say, Dear, I'm going I'm to go ask these two friends at work, or these two friends at school, if we could just pray together, maybe two or three times a week, or whatever it might be, hold each other accountable. And to start praying for the, for the unsaved friends around, around them at work or at school, neighborhoods, in your homes, in your families. And, and so who are those? And would you walk out today at least being determined that you are going to surround yourself with friends that are going to drive you towards that? Second question, how prepared are you to defend your faith to those around you? Are you prepared? Or have you just kind of let that... Let that go. Like, let, let them come in and win those battles, and we just back off, and we just draw the line a little further back. And, and I think we've been doing this retreat, uh, this thing, you know, so where the, the, the world gains ground, and so we just back off. And then they gain ground again, and we back off. When are we going to say, that, no, we're going to go win ground. We're going to go back, and we're, gonna, we're going to engage with the culture, because we're on the side of truth, right? And so why give up this ground? How prepared are you to defend your faith to those around you? And, and so I would ask you to commit, commit to engaging with people. Commit to, to learning. Uh, if anyone would be interested, we, could, we have a Defending the Faith course, a Servant Leaders course. You could take, you could take it online, free, right? Um, or you can pay to get master's credit. You can, you can do that as well. Uh, but you can do it for free. I, I'm telling, there are ways for you to start start preparing yourself because we cannot live our faith in the fire if we just leave the fire every time there's a fire. We're talking about living our faith in the fire. And if you've got to do that, you've got to get into the fire. Prepare for that. Get ready. And you're, you'll get burned sometimes. Go back, prepare, go back and do it again as you serve this world with the ministry of the gospel. Amen? Let's, let's close in prayer, and then I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to respond if the Lord is working in your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for the, the examples that we find 
in Daniel's life. And in Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Lord, to see men, even young boys at first, willing to doing what is right, determined not to be defiled by the world around them. But they banded together, and they served and engaged with their culture. Lord, I pray that that would be us too. Lord, we're living our faith in the fire. And Lord, I just pray that you take us where we are, just as we are. And if we would make the commitment to live this way, that you would do great and mighty things through us too. Lord, we know our culture needs you. From the top to the bottom, we are a divided country. Divided over morals, divided over you, divided over all sorts of things. Lord, I just pray that you would raise up people right from this congregation. Instead of just going with the world, we take a stand for you. And I pray this in your son's name.